it was planned, so um, it's okay, I'm all right, I've not, not broken anything or anything like that. Um, this morning we are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we have um, been in Corinthians now for quite a few weeks, and we're kind of heading towards the end of it. We mixed up the order slightly, so Richard spoke on 1 Corinthians 15 last week, and so we're in 14 now, because we, switch, we switched around the weeks and so we're going to be here for this week and next week as well. This morning, however, um, the, the Bible isn't working on the screen. So if you don't have a Bible, and you, maybe you're new to church and you're not a Christian, can I just encourage you, if you want to look at what I'm saying today from the Bible, what you can do is you can go on the internet on your phone and go to biblegateway.com, and you should then be able to find a version of the Bible. I'm going to be reading from a, a version called the NIV today. Um, but also, I thought I'd make it available to you today to um, look at my notes while I'm speaking, because I'm speaking on the gift of tongues today, and for some of us, this might be something that we've got lots of questions on. So I don't know whether you could pop the, the QR code up. If you want my notes, some of you like these sorts of things. I've also written an academic paper on this subject as well, you'll be pleased to know. Um, and that is attached at the end of that document if you really want to read something very academic from me. Um, but we are going to be in 1 Corinthians 14 today. And so... Just to recap, while you're finding that, or maybe looking at that QR code, let me just go through a few things. So first of all, what's going on in the Corinthian church? So we've had this quite a few times now, but if you're new here this morning, we're looking at this book called Corinthians in the Bible, 1 Corinthians, which is written by the Apostle Paul to a church in a place called Corinth, um, which is, uh, is still, still there today, a, a, a city called Corinth. And in this church, there are lots of factions happening in this church. We've got some people who think that they would rather listen to another apostle called Apollos rather than Paul. We've got some who thought that they were better than others. So we've got people in the church that just think they're better than everybody else. Some people had some very odd theological views, their views about God and the Bible. So they thought it was all right to sleep with your stepmom, for example. Or that in, you'll read in 1 Corinthians 7, you've got a group of the, these people in Corinth saying, if you're married, you shouldn't have any sex at all, um, which doesn't sound acceptable. And then last week, Richard spoke about this view on the resurrection. So some people in this church community actually believe that whilst Jesus rose again from the dead, we're not going to rise again from the dead. I mean, doesn't that sound like an awful version of Christianity? That's like a version of Christianity without any hope attached to it at all. And as Richard said helpfully last week, we will rise again. We will know Jesus coming again. Um, and that's what our hope is as Christians. So you've got this church that is divided along many lines. And when they came together, imagine the chaos in this church community. I, I, I've, I, as you know, I used to be a teacher. And I imagine it a little bit to be like either a, a nursery without any staff members at all present. Or I was a secondary teacher leaving a year nine class to their own devices. That's kind of what I imagine. Richard, you're laughing at me because you know that this, this is what it would be like. It'd be utter carnage and mess everywhere when you returned. Probably somebody would have killed themselves or killed somebody else in the class knowing what the... <laughs> when I taught art, I would never leave them alone with some knives. Um, I can imagine what it would be like in this church community, though. Utter carnage and mess all the time. And we see this clearly in the passage we're going to look at this morning. And so I do have some aims for this morning, actually, as we speak today, because... It's really important that as we go through the Bible together, that what we're doing with you isn't just increasing your knowledge. That's really important. We, I don't just want to build up your knowledge. It says in the Bible that knowledge puffs up, but wisdom builds up. We want to help you grow in your love for Jesus and obedience to him. And also, as a church family, we want to grow in the way that we practice our Christian faith together. So I want you to be able to apply what I'm going to say today. And so today we're looking at the gift of tongues, and then I've asked Jazz to follow this up next week by looking at the gift of prophecy, which are both um, outlined in the verses we're going to look at. And so I'm hoping that by the end of today, you will understand what the gift of tongues is, 
and by the end of next week, you'll understand what the gift of prophecy is. You'll understand how they should be used when we gather together like this in a church meeting. You will want those gifts among us as a church people, because I want them, and I want you to want them as well. And that you're able to grow in those gifts personally. So without any further ado, let's read 1 Corinthians 14 together. And I'm going to read the whole thing this morning. Um, It will take me about five minutes to do, but I think it's really important based around what I'm speaking on today. So we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Put on my Paul voice. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. Edify means to build up. They build up themselves, says Paul. But the one who prophesies builds up the church, edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless somebody interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and I speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring some revelation of knowledge or prophecy or a word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as a pipe or a harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You'll just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without any meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church community. This is what Paul's been saying for the last two chapters of this letter. For this reason... The one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I pray with my spirit, but I also pray with my understanding. I sing with my spirit, but I also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can somebody else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving since they do not know what you are saying? You're giving thanks well enough, but there is no one else edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regards to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law, it is written with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. This is from Isaiah, by the way. Tongues, then, are not a sign for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. I'm going to stop really briefly. I was going to cover this later, but let me cover this now. This is probably one of the most confusing chapters in everything that Paul writes in the New Testament. Because it sounds like he's now contradicting what he's saying. He says, tongues, then, are a sign. But what he's saying is, is that tongues are a sign of judgment. So if we go back to verse 21 very quickly, he quotes from the Old Testament, a verse from the Old Testament, which is about... God pronouncing judgment on his people, the Israelites, through speaking to them through other nations. They would have seen that as an act of judgment. And he says that if you're speaking tongues that are uninterpreted in a church meeting, it will feel like for anybody present who doesn't know Jesus, it could feel like a sign of judgment over them that they don't know God. They will feel judged and condemned and have no access to the gospel. So he says that it's a sign for them, a sign of judgment. Okay, so verse 22. 
Not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers as a sign to them. So if the whole church comes together, verse 23, and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? If you come into a church meeting for the first time and everybody's in here speaking gobbledygook, he's basically saying, will you, will you not say that you're out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in whilst everybody is prophesying, they're convicted of sin and are brought under the judgment by all as the secrets of their heart are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship, exclaiming, God really is among you. What shall we say then, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. This is one of the core things he's getting at. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or three at most, three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. This is contentious. I'll get to this in a second. Women should remain silent in the churches. They're not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did the word of God originate with you, or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they're a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they themselves will be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But everyone, everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Okay, so I've obviously just now read to you 40 verses of the Bible. And there's lots of questions that you may well have as we go through it. And so I'm just going to pray quickly before we go any further. So Lord Jesus, we thank you for your words. We thank you that it is your word spoken to us. And Lord, we ask you that you would help us today as I teach through this, Lord God, in the context that it's written in, to understand it, and that we might apply it to our situation now, 2,000 years after it's been written. And Lord, we pray that as a result of going through this today, we ask you that you would bless our church more with the gifts of the Spirit over our meetings together, and that we might encounter your presence more as we lean into all that you have for us as a church family. Amen. Amen. Okay, so this chapter is all about what happens when a church gathers together on a Sunday morning or the day of the week that they were gathering on at the time. Paul says there needs to be clear order to everything that's happening in church so that everyone is built up. So it's not just about you building yourself up and looking good for yourself. It's about everybody being built up. Everything we read in this chapter is about that core theme. So I'm going to deal with those really odd verses in the context of that, first of all, verses 33 to 35, where Paul basically seems to come across as a complete misogynist and say that women shouldn't, have any, shouldn't say anything in church at all. So what's going on here? Well, Paul also makes some other comments about women back in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 as well. And I would say, and we would say, that these are bound to the culture and context that he was writing to in this particular church environment, and they don't apply to us today. They are tied to the specific situation within that church community. If they were universal commands to every single Christian throughout all of history, we would need to question everything else that's written in the New Testament. For example, Romans 16, where he lists a whole group of women who have got authority within the church to preach and teach and actually have apostolic duties as well. 
Galatians 3.28, where he talks about there's neither male nor female, we're all one in Christ Jesus. And also Pentecost itself, where Peter stands up and he quotes from the book of Joel, and he says, in the last days, your, your sons and daughters will prophesy. So in the, new, in the new covenant community, there is a shift taking place in the roles of men and women, and also just in terms of their, the, the, what, what giftedness that they have and their visibility. But here, Paul seems to say something contradictory to that. So what's going on? Well, here's a view of what's happening here. And there are lots of views on this. This is the view that I would adhere to on this text. As within Jewish synagogues, which quite a lot of these Christians would have been originally Jews, they've come to faith. As with Jewish synagogues, what's happening in this church community is that when they gather together for their meeting, men and women were segregated. So it would be like men on one side, women on the other. Okay? Church meetings were not our size, and they would have been taking place in probably in somebody's home. And so within a city like Corinth, you probably would have had, so he says, in the churches. He's talking about the churches within the city of Corinth. Because it wouldn't have been one church he was writing this letter to, like a one building. It would be lots of buildings with lots of people meeting. And they would have had somebody overseeing them who would have been acting almost like today you have what's called bishops. And they would have been like an overseer in that, in that capacity. So we've got churches in smaller size happening in smaller contexts. So imagine then, in a small context, you've got people making a fuss. It affects the whole meeting, doesn't it? If somebody started speaking at the back of this meeting, we just pick up the mic and talk over the top of you, yeah? But in a smaller context, that doesn't work. It doesn't happen like that. And so disruption happens really quickly. In Corinth, this city, there were many dialects and languages being spoken. And men, unfortunately, just because of the time period, had access to education that women did not. Paul doesn't say anything about this because he's a pragmatist dealing with something pragmatic. And he's dealing with the situation at hand. So in this situation, the Corinthian women, segregated from their husbands, have no ability to understand, because they've not had a formal education, the, the, the dialects and languages of other people in the room. And so there's a group of women in this church community talking over everything all the time. And Paul says, look, that's just not healthy. You need to be quiet. Wait until you're out of the meeting to speak to your husband about what was said so that you can find out from them what was going on. So it's a contextual command. Does that make sense? Now... It would be the equivalent of us having a, a lot of French people come over from, from, on the Euro Tunnel for the day, turning up to our, our meeting, talking loudly in French all the way through the meeting because they don't understand what I'm saying. And then we might say to them at the end, guys, that really wasn't helpful. Yeah? So it's, it's the same equivalent of that. Paul's not devaluing the role of women, but he's dealing with a very specific situation where the women in the church were causing disorder. So we've got this problem of disorder in the meetings, of interruptions, but then also, more significantly, and really what I want to speak on for the, the time I've got left, is the gift of tongues. So what is the gift of tongues? What's the gift of tongues? How does it operate in the New Testament? Well, we see the gift of tongues as a supernatural gift given by the Spirit of God of either a human language or a heavenly language given to a believer for the purpose of worshipping and praising God. In Acts 2 at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls on the believers gathered in the upper room. Tongues of fire rest upon them and they start speaking the languages and dialects of, of lots of people throughout the Roman Empire who, interestingly, had gathered in Jerusalem at that time for a festival. And so they hear the, the praises of God being declared in their own languages. It's, it's evangelistic at that point in time. John Stott, the, the, the theologian, says that they, this is also a, a reversal of what happened at Babel. So if you remember in Genesis, um, God separates the peoples of the earth by giving them languages. Well, what happens in the New Covenant community is where they were divided by language, now they're united by the gospel and by the spirit. In Acts 10 and 19, disciples received the gift of tongues as they became believers. But it's different. There seems to be something different going on here because 
There were only believers present. Nobody heard the praises of God in their own languages, it says in Acts 2. And Paul then seeks in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to put some theological meat on those bones and says, look, there are actually different kinds of tongues. You've got tongues spoken in human languages and you've got tongues that are heavenly languages. So I've been in a church meeting once um, where somebody started speaking out a, 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 a Chinese dialect in the meeting and it was, it was a very unusual one and it was a big meeting. And then somebody else got up and ran, ran to the front saying, you're speaking in my language. How on earth is this happening? And so sometimes God will do that. He will give somebody a human language to declare his praises. But most of the time in our meetings, what we believe is happening is heavenly languages being given to people. Not all languages, says Paul, as we approach our text of 1 Corinthians 14, are comprehensible to us. They're not all human languages. It's why Paul says no one understands the speaker in our, in our chapter. And they utter mysteries to God. So why tongues? Why are tongues important? The purpose of speaking in tongues is to communicate with God, says Paul in verse 2. It's our spirit communicating with God, he says in verse 14. It's an act of intimacy between the person speaking and God. The tongue speaker is engaging in prayer, praise and thanksgiving to God in the language that God has given them. It's, up, it's an upwards gift. It's a gift that goes upwards. So some of the gifts that God gives us are outwards gifts. So the gift of hospitality, I get to bless other people. But this gift is an upward gift. It's about praising God. Smith Wigglesworth, who was a very famous evangelist and preacher in the UK a, a, a hundred years or so ago, said that when he spoke in tongues, it was like he saw the empty cross and at the same time the Jesus he loved and adored crowned in glory in a reigning position. When he spoke in tongues, what happened was inside he was being led to Jesus. Speaking, to tongues, speaking in tongues led him to Jesus. So the purpose of tongues is to communicate with God, but there's also something else going on as well. Speaking in tongues points us towards the truth that as Christians we live in the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. So as Christians we believe that Jesus has defeated death and sin and right now he reigns on the throne in heaven and that one day, as Richard said last week, he will return and make visible the kingdom that has now been established by him seated on the throne. What is secret almost will become visible. And as the church we believe that we are a sign to the world of the kingdom that is to come. So we should be demonstrating the justice, the mercy, and the love of Jesus to those around us because we're delivering what the kingdom looks like. Tongues are also part of that. We're pointing to the kingdom of heaven that is to come. We speak the language of heaven, yet we speak it in part. So it's the now and the not yet. In Ephesians um, 6.18, Paul uses this, the, the phrase praying in the spirit, and he says it's a form of spiritual warfare. So I don't know whether you've heard of a lady called Jackie Pullinger. She was famous for working with drug addicts in Hong Kong. And she believes that there is a, a supernatural power in tongues. In fact, she'd gone out and she'd served as a missionary for a long time and saw nothing happen, nobody changed, nobody set free of anything. And then she received the gift of tongues. And she said that as she went back to minister again, she'd gone to America and she'd encountered some people there. As she went back to Hong Kong, she'd re after receiving this gift, she said that there was an unbelievable power in her ministry she hadn't had before. And what they started to do is when addicts came to faith, they would pray for the tongues gift straight away. And they said that it was remarkable how when those addicts started speaking in tongues, the addiction broke off of them. There's power in the gift of tongues as well. There's also benefits to the, the gift uh, of this gift to the person speaking them. And that's what Paul says here. It builds them up. Jude says, it, it, verses 20 and 21 of Jude, But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, I would determine that to be speaking in tongues, keep yourselves in God's love. So we can keep ourselves in God's love and we can build ourselves up in our faith 
by speaking in tongues. Okay, so some questions for you that you may be having while you're sitting there. Does Paul expect every Christian to have the gift of tongues? Well, no. So in verse 5, he says he would like everyone to have the gift. But so by saying that, he's acknowledging that some people don't. This is confirmed in 1 Corinthians 12, where he asks some rhetorical questions. One of them being, do all speak in tongues? As if to say, not everybody does speak in tongues. However, does Paul think that everybody could speak in tongues? Well, yeah, I think he does. He says in verse 23, that if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues. So practically, he says not everybody will, but theoretically, he says everybody could. Jesus says in Matthew that God loves to give good gifts to his children. And I I believe that if you earnestly ask God for the gift of tongues, God will give you the gift. It's quite probable that if every one of us in this room earnestly asked God for the gift of tongues, we would receive it. But I'm also very pragmatic. I know that some of us won't ask God earnestly for the gift. There's a teaching that exists, particularly within Pentecostal traditions in the church, that the gift of tongues is a sign of the Holy Spirit's baptism um, over somebody's life. And I would actually disagree with that statement. Because I think if you look at Acts 10 and Acts 19, you could argue for that, which is where the teaching comes from. But you can't argue that from the text here in 1 Corinthians 12. You could say that it's common for people to be baptised in the Spirit or encounter the Holy Spirit for the first time and start speaking in tongues. But it's not necessarily the only indicator of it. Maybe some of you need to be released from that today because maybe you've received the Spirit, but you've not started speaking in tongues. So when, do you, when should you speak in tongues? Well, Paul does it all the time. The NIV renders verse 18 as, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. It sounds like he's showing off to them. But a more literal translation in the Greek would be to say, I thank God in tongues more than all of you. He's saying, I pray in tongues all the time. I do this all the time. He's, infer- he's not inferring he's better, but he just does it a lot. But what about in the church? Well, it wasn't just a group of women causing disruption in this church community. This gift was being used like the prized gift, the best thing that you could possibly have. Everyone was speaking in tongues, all of them. Imagine coming in this morning, we were all just babbling away in tongues. It was chaotic. Paul says, in effect, that's crazy. Why are you valuing the gifts of tongues above prophecy when prophecy is a language that everybody understands? When non-believers are in your meetings, they're going to think you're mental. They're going to think like you're crazy, he says. Like, you need to think about what you're um, doing. In hearing everyone speak in languages they don't understand, they'll feel further from God and they're going to feel under condemnation, he says. You need to think about what you're doing as a church. So we've got to be careful to use the gifts in the gathered body that build the whole body up. The interpretation of the tongue in a gathered setting like this should always be weighted on. Okay, So this is really key. So when we do this in a church meeting on a Sunday, if somebody comes and says, I've got a tongue to bring, or they pray it out from somewhere, and they're praying out loud enough that everybody hears... What you'll see is the host of the meeting come to the front and they will say, we're going to wait for an interpretation because we want to honour this text. Does that make sense? And we're trying to honour what what Paul's written. And the interpretation of a tongue is another gift of the Spirit. And the interpretation won't be word-for-word interpretation. It will be a thought-for-thought or heart-for-heart translation or interpretation of the, the tongue that's been brought. And it's also a gift from God. Now, if you bring a tongue on a Sunday... I would also encourage you to to this text to see that it says, actually, the person who brings the tongue should also be ready to bring the interpretation. I'm not saying that they they have to, because it also could be that somebody else in the room has the interpretation. But if you feel God's given you a tongue, be ready to bring the interpretation as well for that tongue. 
Tongues are praise, prayer, and thanksgiving to God. They're upwards prayer, as I've said already. So we should also inspect any interpretation that we have on a Sunday morning when we gather together to be upwards. It's God-focused, right? If an interpretation isn't God-focused, it may not be the interpretation of the tongue. It might be a prophetic word, or it could just be a blessed thought or something the person's eaten in the morning before they came to church. And that's okay. We would want to honor that and bless that as well. But we might also say, look, we're just going to wait, actually, because we, that's, we don't think that's the interpretation. Okay, and it's not about dishonoring the person who's brought the first interpretation. We want to encourage them for having a go and actually stepping out in faith. And it might be that what they've brought is a prophetic word for us as a church. But what we believe about tongues is that it is an upward gift of prayer and praise and thanksgiving to God. So are all other forms of tongues in church forbidden? What about here at Gateway when we might say something along the lines of, Sing out in English your native language or the language God has given you. Is that okay? Well, I think that that's an act of personal worship to God in a gathered setting. You're not standing at the front doing it so that everybody can hear it. Therefore, you're not disrupting what's going on. And in Ephesians 5 verses 18 and 19, Paul actually encourages us to do that with each other. He says, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. He says it's good to sing out together in the Spirit. That's a good thing to do. And remember, Paul's point is not about stopping this gift, but it's about making sure our worship is both understandable for visitors and it's ordered. Paul explicitly says, don't forbid speaking in tongues. And also, if you've got no interpreter, the person should speak quiet, sorry, stay quiet and speak to themselves and to God. He's, saying, he's not saying don't speak in tongues. He's saying just be mindful of what's going on around you. When we come together, we want to encounter God's presence. And so if we want the fullness of what the New Testament practices in terms of the charismatic, we want it, that means the grace gifts that God gives us, we want to be able to hear tongues spoken in our meetings and also expect interpretations to them. And we don't have this enough as a church community. We don't have the problem of Corinth. We've got the opposite problem. This happens once every now and again. We want to see it two, three times a week because that's what they were seeing and that's what Paul expected uh, to be happening. So how do you receive this gift? Well, don't believe this phrase. If God wanted me to have the gift, he would just give it to me. Because this is not what Paul teaches. Paul teaches us this. If we want the gift, we eagerly and earnestly ask God for it. How, how do people receive this gift? Well, some experience the, the gift coming to them automatically. It, it, they pray in English and then all of a sudden the gift of tongues starts coming to them. Some began speak, begin speaking what they hear in their heart. They just start hearing words in their heart and they start praying them out loud. When I began speaking in tongues, it was my mum. Wave, wave to everyone, my mum. My mum and dad come to the church. There you go. My mum prayed with me. I was about, how old was I? About 11? Yeah, I was about 11. Mum said, I'm going to pray in tongues. You listen and you start when you want to. And for the first couple of words, my tongue sounded exactly the same as my mum's. But then after about 30 seconds, it was completely different. It just took the first hurdle of opening my mouth to speak. And I think for some of us, we get stuck at that first hurdle because what we expect to happen is that if God wants me to get, have the gift, he'll give it to me and we wait for God to move our tongue for us, which is not the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues isn't God using our tongue. The gift of tongues is a gift given to us to declare praises back to him. And so we need to actually be asking God for the gift and then start exercising it. Receiving the gift is an act of faith over us. So you might have, maybe you did this once at some point in the past, and you went, well, I did it once, and then you've not done it again because you thought it didn't really feel very supernatural. And I would say, what does supernatural feel like to you? <laughs> some of us kind of discount it. I, th I think that what we're encouraged to do in the New Testament is to build up our faith by exercising the gift that God's given us. 
And so my encouragement to you is if maybe you spoke in tongues once, I'd encourage you to do it again. Because I think as you do that, you can develop a prayer relationship with God. And as I gave you two examples of people of faith earlier on who, t- who testify to what tongues has done in them, I'd encourage you to read Jackie Pullinger's um, books. I'd encourage you to look out for pen- great Pentecostal leaders of the past and, and how that they've seen the gift of tongues influence their ministry. Um, there is one book, I've put this on my notes actually, that I would encourage you to read. If you're still not convinced by everything I've said at the end of this meeting on the gift of tongues, there is a book called The Language of Heaven by a guy called Sam Storms who has gone through every question you could possibly think of to do with speaking in tongues. And I would encourage you to read that book. And if you've still got questions, come and ask me. As I said, I wrote an academic paper on this a while ago for when I did my master's um, on this subject. And I argued against a view that people don't speak in tongues today because I think that it's clear that they do. Um, But what I want to do at the end of this meeting today is I want to give you the opportunity. If you haven't received the gift of tongues and you want to speak in tongues, I'm going to give you the opportunity to be prayed for for that this morning. And so what we're going to do is this, because, again, I want to honour the text. And so the text talks about it not being comprehensible if we all do it at the same time, but I also believe that you can receive it. And so what I'm going to say is if you want to receive the gift this morning, come to the front. We're going to encourage you. Everybody else, we're going to go and have tea and coffee. It's such a nice day outside today anyway. If you want to receive the gift of tongues and be prayed for this morning for it, we'd love to pray for you for that this morning today. Um, And so I'll encourage you to come to the front once we've finished in a second. If you still don't receive it, don't give up. Pray earnestly for it. But also you need to put into action. It's about opening your mouth and speaking. So let's pray as we finish, shall we? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word wasn't just written 2,000 years ago and meant for 2,000 years ago. Lord, we thank you that the word of God is living and active today. Lord, we thank you that it's able to speak to us in ways that I might not have even communicated this morning. I thank you, Lord, that as people read this text earlier, you will have communicated them things divinely, Lord God, through the text that you wanted to speak to them about today. But Lord, we also pray for us, Lord, as a church family, Lord, that we would be able to put into practice the gifts that you've given us. Lord, we pray that as we gather to worship next week, that we would hear the gift of tongues. We'd hear the gift of the interpretation of tongues given. Lord, we pray, Lord God, for anyone here today who wants to and is hungry to receive this gift, that, Lord Jesus, by your spirit, that you would come and help them, Lord God, today, and that you would give them the gift that they earnestly desire. And so, Lord, we pray that you would make us a people who are hungry for the spirit of God, we're hungry for the gifts of the spirit, and, Lord, that we would be confident in using the gift of tongues, both in our relationship with you, in our, in our spiritual warfare over the forces that rage against this world, and also, Lord God, in our gathered meetings that we might be built up together as you meet with us. So, Lord, we pray your blessing over us this week. We pray your, I pray your hand of blessing over each one of us today. And I just pray, Lord God, just, I pray, Lord God, again, just for this week, Lord, I pray that there would be an encouragement for those that do speak in tongues, that they would go away and put this into practice tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, and they would start to see a difference in their life. Amen.